Have you ever allowed your imagination to run wild about the world of work? To wonder what would happen if we tore up all the rules and started again? Welcome to Series 3 of What If, a podcast from the CIPD's work magazine that dares to ask the previously unthinkable. I'm Jenny Roper, editor of Work Magazine, and this time around I'll be asking what if men took more parental leave than women? Unfortunately, this doesn't seem likely to become reality anytime soon, at least not in the UK. To encourage more men to take more parental leave, shared parental leave was rolled out in 2015. The regulations are pretty complex, but the basic premise is they enable eligible parents to share up to 50 weeks of leave and up to 37 weeks of pay. But eight years on, take-up rates remain abysmally low. Last year, fewer than 10,000 men claimed shared parental leave pay, compared to around 200,000 women claiming maternity pay. The policy has been blighted by criticism, chiefly that it requires the mother to give up, in inverted commas, some of her leave, and that it's not automatically enhanced at the same level as maternity pay typically is. This has led many to call for it to be scrapped in favour of something better. But of course parental leave is just one part of the childcare picture. Countless surveys and data show that women are still the primary carers in most heterosexual family units in the UK. This translates as the woman either doing part-time work to leave time for childcare or doing the lion's share of domestic responsibilities, including housework and childcare, when she clocks off for the day. Covid shifted the dial in some ways, of course, with many fathers realising they actually quite liked participating more in family life and hybrid working allowing many to continue to do so. But research also shows that while both women and men did more domestic chores during lockdown, the fairness gap didn't shift, with women bearing the brunt of homeschooling, for example. So why is this still the case in 2023? How did we get here? How do other countries compare? And how do we get to a situation in which men do just as much caring for children, if not more? To answer these questions, I spoke to Michael Kimmel, Distinguished Professor of Sociology and Gender Studies, Emeritus at Stony Brook University. Michael is the author of books including Manhood in America, The Gendered Society and Angry White Men. I also spoke to Sarah Jackson, Visiting Professor at Cranfield University School of Management and former CEO of Working Families. My opening question, why, despite advances on gender equality, is so much childcare still provided by mothers, both in the UK and in many comparable countries? First, Michael, who uses the US as an example of what happened in many industrialised nations to help explain why we are where we are now. There's two answers to that, and I think that one of them is a long-term historical answer. More women were working outside the home in the United States in 1830 than they were in 1890. Something happened in the 19th century that led to the separation of spheres, as we came to call them. This wasn't innate. This wasn't biological. This was how we organized work and home life. And the answer to that question is because of the Industrial Revolution, workplaces became much bigger, factories became enormous, and people went from home to work in factories rather than went from their living room into the back room where they made their artisanal crafts. So there was a lot more balance of work and family. By 1890, the idea of separate spheres, uh, men go to work, women to the hearth, stayed at home with, with children. That became the way we did things. And for a lot of people, it made a certain amount of sense. 
I think, for example, to the world of my grandparents who were born at the turn of the century. And for them, that idea that grandma stayed home with the kids and took care of the house, grandpa went off to work, that made sense to them. But it doesn't make sense to us today. Today, we've simply inherited that. And women since the 1960s said, this is a trap. This is a prison. We don't want to only be able to do this. Now, what we're missing is men saying, neither do we. <laughs> it doesn't work for us either. There's an interesting anthropological work called Societies at Peace. And it looks at the question of those societies, since we think that violence is so endemic, that it's part of our biological nature. These anthropologists, I think they were two Norwegian anthropologists, did a, a world survey of societies that weren't warlike, uh, that were always peaceful. And they found that house, you know, taking care of children was highly valued. But the most highly valued individual in those societies was not the heroic male warrior, but was the family parent, the family man, woman. The elders were venerated, not dismissed. So they found a whole bunch of things that point to the idea that greater gender equality leads to a happier and a healthier society. Which brings us to the question, seemingly too obvious to ask, but often dangerously overlooked, of why this all matters so much. What's in it for both women and men? And what's in it for children, employers and the economy? Here's Sarah Jackson. I think it matters that childcare is shared more fairly between mothers and fathers because, first of all, it's much better for our children. All the evidence is that kids benefit from engaged fathers. Educational outcomes are better, mental health outcomes are better. Kids like to have both parents fully engaged. There's also evidence that where fathers are more involved in childcare, couples stick together longer. And there's also wonderful evidence from Scandinavia, inevitably. The more leave a father takes to look after the baby in the first year of life, the more the mother earns, lifetime earnings go up. Then it's obviously better for employers and the economy. I mean, it's just straightforward common sense. If we can fully realise the talents of all our men and women, the fact that we at the moment take our women out for a chunk of time, some never come back some have long career breaks, is first of all, it's wasting talents. And goodness knows we need all the talents that we've got. There's also a real later life poverty issue for women, because there is a penalty. If you take time out of work to care, your pension contributions drop off, and you look at comparative levels of poverty between men and women in later life, and women are much, much more likely to be in poverty than men are, and that relates directly back to the time that they take out for unpaid caring. So where is the UK system specifically going wrong? Why is shared parental leave so underutilised and childcare beyond the first year of a child's life still so predominantly provided by mothers? And what needs to change? Perhaps learning from how other countries do it. Here's Sarah again, speaking, it should be noted, before the announcement in the recent spring budget of more generous childcare provision, phased in over the next two years so that every child over the age of nine months will receive 33 hours by September 2025. Broadly speaking, there's enough evidence internationally to show what works. And what works is very much not what we have in the UK. So what we've got in the UK is a form of transferable maternity leave that is very poorly paid. And there's not much of it to transfer either because the average woman in the UK takes 39 weeks of maternity leave. So that hoovers up 
all of the statutory paid period of shared parental leave. What works is the leave has to be an individual right for the father alone, not something that's transferred from the mother or dependent on anything the mother does other than her having a baby, obviously. It needs to be long enough to be worth taking. It needs to be long enough to have an influence on how the father settles into the family and engages with the children. And what you see working well globally is around about six months, 26 weeks is, is a good chunk of time. It needs to be paid at full income replacement. It also really needs to be simple to take and simple in terms of eligibility. So around about a quarter of UK fathers are not eligible for paternity leave or shared parental leave just because they haven't been long enough in the same job. And in that sense, we're very unusual globally. Usually people are automatically eligible for paternity leave. And the final thing is it has to be integrated properly with the childcare system. The UK has got one of the biggest gaps, two years from the end of maternity leave or shared parental leave until the start of the free childcare offering when a child is three. That is why you so often see mostly the mothers choosing to go part-time for that period, mostly the fathers then working harder and longer to make up for the loss of the mother's income. So you've got all those structural problems with shared parental leave that unless we correct them, I don't think we're ever going to see take up jumping in the UK of the statutory offering. And that's why when you look at the big corporates who are doing this well, you can see that they've got the model right. It's a day one right, 26 weeks, it's full pay, bang, immediate 80% take up. Government policy here then is king. But it cannot be denied that there is still a strong cultural legacy of it being acceptable for women to take time out of the workplace, but not men. A stigma that needs breaking down in large part by employers and employees themselves. First Michael, then Sarah. It seems to me that if you look at the audience that does the judging, that's a clue. So the audience that's doing the judging for men who take time off, it's other men. So what we need to do there is we need to interrupt that judgment, having other men step up and go, good for you, man. You have your priorities right. This is work, but that's life. That's really great. And I'll give you a really terrific example of that. A couple of years ago, an NFL player's wife was about to give birth on the Friday before the game on Sunday. And he said, I'm not going to be at the game on Sunday because my wife's giving birth and I'm going to be there for the birth of my child. And the team management said, you're not going to get paid for the day, you know, and you're going to get suspended from the team. And he said, OK, well, that's what will happen. And then all of his teammates said, "Uh uh-uh, we support him taking that time off. This is important. This is real life. And management backed down. So what do you learn from that? What you learn from that is that it is other men who keep men from doing what they want to do, which is take time off. Same thing for women. It's voice of other women. Oh, she's not good enough mother. She's not really devoted to her kid. I'll bet she didn't even breastfeed. I mean, what kind of mom is she? And... Women need to interrupt that voice. Hey, Sarah. It's about getting the culture right. And the culture is probably a combination of two things. One is your communications and the other is how you support your line managers. 
if we think about line managers first, they need to be given training. What does this policy mean? How do I implement it personally? They need to be given support and encouragement. And I would say think about not just role models. Role models are great, but can be really distant. They look at role models and they go, well, here's somebody at the top of the organisation. They earn a fortune and their lives are not like mine. You need real models. People from the shop floor, people from the sales team, people from all levels of the company who are saying, I've taken advantage of this policy. It was great. Look at me. It is also about remembering the tacit signals your working culture sends to parents. If you're expecting long working hours and constant availability, among the many groups automatically disenfranchised will be any with childcare responsibilities at home. Here's Michael. Let me give you a really great example. Elon Musk, when he fired half of his workforce and then told the rest of them, you have to be willing to work 80 to 100 hours a week in order to continue to work at Twitter. And I said to myself when he said that, all right, Elon, let's say you work 80 hours a week and there's only 158 hours in a week and you sleep seven hours a night. Uh, And let's say it takes you half hour each way to commute to your workplace. And it takes you, say, two hours a day to cook and prepare and eat all meals, perform all sanitary events. And, and I'll give you one date a week with your partner. And by date, I would mean dinner, movie, make love. Now, I would give that five hours, but you could see a shorter movie. If you add it all up, what you end up with if you work 80 hours a week, it's about 38 minutes a day to do everything else. Any hobbies that you might be involved in, reading the newspaper, reading a book, watching TV, or spend time with your children. So what Elon Musk is saying, we don't want parents working at Twitter. No parents need apply. Also potentially crucial to shifting the dial on all of this is the status afforded to the caring professions and the gender split found there as a result. It is certainly no coincidence that, as well as the domestic sphere, women also dominate nursery and childminding work, social care and nursing, for example. So would persuading more men that there is no reason someone like them couldn't work in these sectors have a real material impact on how much caring they did at home? And if so, how can we catalyse this shift? Here's Sarah. We have a problem in that the care professions are both highly valued and completely undervalued. So we saw it with Clap for Carers, where we all stood on our doorsteps and applauded the health workers. And very quickly, the message coming back from the health workers was, this is so much humbug. You saw the Prime Minister clapping for carers and the Chancellor clapping for carers, and the budgets have not gone up. I was really struck by Richard Reeves, who is now an academic in the States, and he's just published an interesting book called Of Boys and Men, and he's talking about masculinity. And, but he talks about HEAL employment, H-E-A-L, which is Health Education, Administration and Literacy. And he's saying we need a massive national effort to get men to move into jobs in those fields. And he's calling for an equivalent campaign to the campaign to get women into the STEM industries. And I'm absolutely with him on that, because I think if we can get men into those industries, the wages will go up. It's chicken and egg, though. To get those wages to rise, the men have to start doing it. So somehow the state has got to step in and say, no, even before the men come in, we're going to pay this properly. And then we'll see the men coming in. And I think if you can get a rebalancing and a rethinking so that we move away from the image we have that is still rooted, I think, in the 1950s of Britain being a a nation of men who are working in industry. 
because those men's jobs have almost all gone now, to a world where we are saying Britain is a nation where men and women work in the industries that best suit their skills, then I think we'll be moving to a place where carers are paid properly and also where men feel much more culturally able to take on care responsibilities at home. Of course, any discussion of gender inequality in relation to childcare necessarily takes as its starting point inequality between heterosexual men and women parenting as a couple. But there are, beyond this, vital conversations to be had about the experiences of LGBTQ plus and single parents and the disadvantages they face in the workplace. Sarah points out that hopefully, as the stigma around stay-at-home dads and working mums lessens, acceptance and support for all kinds of parents should grow, no matter their gender, sexuality or family setup. This whole conversation has been about opposite sex couples because we are talking about men and their involvement or contribution towards childcare and caring professions. I think that same-sex couples have a whole different set of expectations and therefore barriers to face because when you have two women parenting together, they are obviously dealing with all the disadvantages that women in the workforce already have. And they're doing it times two because there's two of them. When you have two men who are parenting together, they have in many ways the advantages um, that come from being men at work. However, I would say they also have potentially considerable disadvantages because they are very much bucking the model because they are one or both of them are hands-on fathers. And we know that those hands-on fathers are the exception at the moment. So I hope that as we move towards greater gender equality at home, we'll come to see that there are lessons to be learned from same-sex couples and also that there are benefits that will come to same-sex couples as the workplace and as the state begins to better support parents of all kinds. So given the chicken and egg stalemate of policy kickstarting cultural change around gender stereotypes, but attitudes perhaps needing to shift for more people to demand this, how soon are we likely to see meaningful change? Will we ever get to a situation where men take more parental leave and do more caring for children? And to put our overarching question directly to our academics, what would men doing more childcare than women look like? And would it be a good thing? First, Michael. I don't think that's the goal necessarily. What I'm interested in is people feeling that the arrangements are fair. I want people to feel like what they get is what they want. Now, some people will want more traditional relationships. Some couples might want to invert them. What we do know is that LGBT couples tend to be far more egalitarian at home, doing far more childcare, both men and both women. What I'm interested in is degendering care work, caring for your family, taking care of your home, taking care of your children. That's something that parents do. And I don't care what gender your parents are. That's something that parents do. And that's what I keep trying to emphasize is that this is not a gender discussion. If you consider yourself a loving parent, this is what any loving, caring parent should want to do. And you will figure out, individuals will figure out their own arrangements about what feels right to them. Some will divide things down the middle. Some will say, okay, it's my week to do this and it's your week to do that. Others will say, I really love cooking and you hate it. So I'll do all the cooking and you do all the laundry. The washing machine is in the room next to your study. And that will work too. 
whatever people feel is fair. Fairness leads to happiness. People who are Gen Z and even millennials, you ask them what they want, they want a balanced work and family. They want to be partners. They want to be equal. They want to childcare and housework. They want to have great careers. They want to have it all, both women and men. So this isn't about forcing ideas and lifestyle on people. It's taking them at their word and saying, okay, we'll develop policies that enable you to do this. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people to feel what they have is what they want. And we develop policies to put in the hands of people the resources to enable them to do that. Hey, Sarah. I was thinking about this whole question on a train journey a couple of days ago. And there were a bunch of young women sitting across the gangway from me who I realised were talking about their work and their kids. And so I leant across and I, I asked them, what would it take for men and women to share childcare equally? And it was so interesting because one of them just went, oh, it'll never happen. My man is just so, so traditional. And the woman, her friend sitting next to her said, no, 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 we share everything equally, me and my husband, absolutely everything equally. And across the six of them, and they just had that span of opinion was evenly spread across them. Um, some of them thought that it was going to take a long time. Others thought that they were pretty much there already. One of them worked for a large employer and said, we've got great flexible working, we've got great leave. Somebody else worked for a small employer and says, it's all very traditional here. But it, it certainly left me thinking that there is a younger generation. There's a generation that it's already changing. And ultimately, organizations, we talk about the employer as though it's some kind of thing that's separate from us, but we are we are employers. Uh, organizations are made up of men and women, and we have some of us have very traditional expectations about men and women's roles, and some of us have very different expectations. So it really is down to us, um, and it certainly can happen, but there's some real structural systemic barriers in the way. So you look at the woman on the train who says we share everything equally, working for a great employer, obviously. For everybody to take the same attitude that she and her husband are taking, there are quite a lot of barriers or just hurdles to overcome that surround them in their wish to, to run their lives, their family lives, based on equality. So again, what of our overriding provocation? What if men took more parental leave than women? I cannot see why it would not be a good thing if men were putting in more childcare hours than women, if that's what they want to do. This has to always come back to what's best for the family. So if you have an opposite sex couple family, what is going to make them most happy in their relationship? What's going to be best for their kids? in terms of the time they get and the, the, the role models that they have, what's going to most support the parents' ability to earn the living that they need to support their kids. If that picture translates into men taking a, a greater share of the childcare burden, then what's not to like? You have been listening to the What If podcast, brought to you by the CIPD's Work magazine. To find out more about how the CIPD is dedicated to better work and working lives, visit cipd.co.uk. And don't forget to check out the rest of the What If series from your podcast provider or the peoplemanagement.co.uk website.